What's up, Connection Podcast Network listeners? Welcome back to another edition of WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT. Joining me, as always, on this show is my friend Marcus. Marcus, how are you? Uh, JT, I'm doing well. Spring is in the air. Baseball may or may not be back. Um, but I'm looking forward to uh, the changing of the seasons, uh, getting out of this frigid winter. How are you doing? I am good, and I'm excited to talk more 1999 WWF with you. We've been cruising. On our last episode, we shocked the world with a brand new leader atop our rankings, and that is SummerSlam 99, setting an incredible pace uh, with a massive score, um, just lapping Money in the Bank 2011, which we didn't think would happen, and it did. So we'll see how 99 continues to grade out. I mean, we've talked about it. It's just a year that's loaded with good build, good commentary, atmosphere, and moments, and those are the you know, big building blocks of this, the way we do our rankings. So, um, you know, it continues to deliver on these shows. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, if you haven't, go ahead and go back and listen, even watch SummerSlam 99. I mean, it, it is a really uh, awesome show, and I think we do a really good breakdown of it uh, and really draw out all of the the positives and, and you know, minuses from that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, continuing on in our 1999-2000 season. And what we do here is we base our uh, rankings and overall grading on a plus-minus system. If you assume everything at its most basic level is replacement level, so maybe the most average of a match at a two-and-a-half score or you know, a commentary or a moment, it's kind of the things that should happen happen, that's a replacement level. For the categories we have, build, commentary, atmosphere, notable moments and importance, uh, card structure, rewatchability, all-time matches, match grades, 
we take a pluses, we take minuses above that replacement level, below that replacement level. We net out the score, and then that total score tells us where these shows are going to rank all time. And our match grades, we'll break down the whole card for you. We'll give uh, my grade, we'll get Marcus's grade. We then average those together, and we go plus minus from two and a half if we consider two and a half to be a break even. If it you know scored a three, that gets a half a point. We add all those match uh, war grades up, and that gives us a total match grade score as well. As we talked about last episode, SummerSlam 99 clocked in with a strong match grade store score, which really helped it to set the pace. So most of 99 has been more around like the negative one to plus one range outside of SummerSlam. So we'll see if that trend continues tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, first up, we have a pretty, I think, historically significant show, uh, even sh- though it may not. Shocking one. It may not may not come across that way. Uh, this is this is kind of a big one. It alters the mm-hmm. course of history itself in the WWF. It does, and it is Rebellion, 1999, from October 2nd, 99, the National Indoor Arena from Birmingham, England. It's our first pay per view this year without Jerry Lawler on the mic. It is Jim Ross and Michael P. S. Hayes in the booth. Um, and I thought there's some pluses and minuses to that that we'll get into. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, a little refreshing to get a change up, but uh, you know, we'll see how that goes uh, as the event goes on. But um, yeah, we're back in England uh, for our second UK exclusive pay-per-view. And uh, to start off the night, in a dark match, we've got Christian defeating Crash Holly. Mm-hmm. But to formally start the pay-per-view, we've got Jeff Jarrett defending the Intercontinental title against uh, D'Lo Brown. And yes. this one's almost a little bit more of an angle than a match, but I want three. I think these guys have instant chemistry. Yeah, this show feels like a amalgamation of matches over from like our last few shows, <laughs> like fully loaded SummerSlam and Unforgiven. Like we get a bunch of kind of rematches that pop up from there. Uh, but this is good. I, I went two and a half. Not as good as SummerSlam. Or like you said, a little bit more angle than match. Uh, it, it is... The atmosphere is good, but a lot of this stuff on these shows is going to lack the importance and the vibe of those big-time matches, right? So they almost got to work a little bit harder to cash in, and this just felt like a, a little bit of a step back. They did do the coin toss to see which of Jarrett's titles, uh, you know, would, or, I'm sorry, which of their titles would be in the line. Of course, D'Lo's European champion, Jarrett's IC champion, and it was the IC belt that was determined to be on the line after the coin toss. So, Yeah, cool little wrinkle to add there, and uh I think we should mention also before we get started uh, or too deep into this, like this is only six days after Unforgiven. So uh, uh-huh. that kind of explains why a lot of these matches are retreads and combinations of our last three shows. Um, but we'll keep going. Next up, we've got the Godfather taking on Gangrel. Godfather is going to pick up the victory. And uh, I'm a sucker for the Godfather. I went two and a half. Yeah, I went one and a half. This is a tough one. I've talked a lot about Godfather so far. I think he's a fun uh, opening act. I think he gets the crowd revved up. You get the hose. Uh, but in ring, I just, this wasn't quite there for him during the stretch. It's a lot of just kind of punch kick and, um, he's kind of an awkward seller and bumper and I'm a gangrel fan, but like time's kind of ticking on him, I think by this point. And mm-hmm. some of his better work was in like 98 and he just feels almost like a relic already at this point. And this would have been a match I think I would have really been excited for, like, at the end of 98 versus the end of 99. And it just doesn't really, you know, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, we talked about it last year, like, is Gangrel a manager now? Like, what is he? <laughs> and now he's back in the ring randomly without the brood against Godfather. So 
just feels like an odd use of them. I don't know. It was all right. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly time is flying and how quickly like characters are aging. Um, you know, Gangrel hasn't been around the company all that long, but like you said, ninety nine, getting into late ninety nine mm-hmm. now, he feels like a relic. He feels uh, something of the past, and um, you know, I think that's going to carry on as the season progresses. Uh, He's only been couple, around a year, right? I mean, when did he yeah. show up? We had summer ninety eight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So. Um, but next up, we've got uh, Val Venus taking on Mark Henry. Val Venus is going to pick up the victory, and I went 1.75. Yeah, not much doing here. Again, I mean, we're kind of doing a heel-heel thing. We've talked about this being a bit of an issue here in late 99, where they're kind of light on faces. And I mean, Val's not like a pure fit. I don't know. He's in a weird spot. He's kind of like tweener-ish, I guess, right now still, but... Um, not much going on. Just Mark Henry's limited at this point, and Val's not going to carry him to much of a banger or anything. So, uh, yeah, one seven five, and this card in ring at this point is definitely uh, hurting for sure. Yeah, Val Venus is a guy I'm curious to track uh, across a couple seasons because kind of feels like he's starting to fall off a little bit as we get into late '99. Um, you know, in my head, I think his peak is probably around summer '98, which isn't too mm-hmm. far after his debut, but. Um, yeah, he's got a tough task here with Mark. Well, he's got a little rebound in 2000 with the white, mm. when he does the short hair and the white trunks and the Rikishi feud and all that. Like, I, I think he, he bounces back a bit then. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a shouldn't get to, too. Um, but flying through this card, uh, not a ton going on. Uh, but here we've got a match for the WF women's title as Ivory is going to retain, uh, by defeating Luna, Jacqueline and Tori. Um, she's going to pick up the victory on uh, Jacqueline, and I went 1.5. I went one and a quarter. Uh, you know, these are the four pillars of the women's division, I guess, right now, for the most part. Jackie hasn't been featured too, too much. It's really been Ivory, Tori, and now Luna. Ivory's got a little bit of a juggernaut run going on here. She wins all these matches and retains the belt, but just just not much doing here. I mean, it's just a few minutes long. Uh, yeah, three and a, three hours, uh, three hours, three minutes and 17 seconds. They don't really get much time to do much at all. So, yeah, uh, just kind of up to this point kind of just feels like um, not quite like a variety show, but just like, uh, here's what you see on TV. Uh, just a much like watered down version of it. It feels like a raw. I mean, that's yeah. these are the types of matches you get a raw. Like even look at the times. So far to the gate, 439, 601, 619, 347, 317. And that first 439 was the dark match. But, like, yeah, a couple six minutes, which would be long on Raw probably at this point. But, I mean, you know, we don't have much. And, honestly, outside of two matches, most of them are short anyway. So, and one of those yeah. long ones is next. Yeah. Uh, next up, as we creep, creep towards the midway point of the show, uh, Chris Jericho is going to defeat the Roman Road Dog, And I went... Two and three quarters on this matchup. What about you, JT? I went three. I like this. It was the first time we actually saw like Jericho be Jericho, it felt like. He was a little more settled in the ring. I thought Road Dog was a good match for him because he could use a little bit of power on Jericho, but he also could kind of move with him. So I, I thought this was pretty good. It also plays off the issues of SummerSlam with their little back and forth, which is cool. Um, no, I thought this was surprisingly pretty good. Jericho also had attacked Road Dog on TV. Uh, as well, if you remember, he put him to the table yeah. and all that. So uh, there's been some history between these two, and I, I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, One of Road Dogg's back... better singles matches, probably. Yeah, they do the back injury with Road Dog to kind of take mm-hmm. him out for a couple weeks. Um, and I think that might have been like a real deal, um, just trying to to heal him up a little bit. But right. uh, cool to see them go back to to this feud and get to pay off SummerSlam a bit. 
Uh, our next match is a uh, fallout from the opening match of the pay-per-view as China is going to defeat Jeff Jarrett by mm-hmm. disqualification. Uh, and this was also a non-title match. This is pretty quick. Uh, this is only a minute and a half. Uh, but this is going to uh, continue this feud uh, as we get towards No Mercy. Uh, I went two and a half, though. I thought even as a segment, uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, like you said, more segment than anything. So China has the pedigree on Jarrett. And then British Bulldog comes in, who, you know, we haven't really talked about him yet, but he's like all over this show. Uh, being in England, of course, they really build it around him. Like he has a backstage segment earlier, and then he's pissed off and he comes out here and clotheslines China. And um, then her and Jared, him and Jared work over China. So he's pissed at her for whatever reason. So um, that's the DQ and that's why it's so short. So really not much doing. Like you said, more of a segment. I give it a two because I, I you know, didn't mind the beatdown. And Bulldog hits her with a pretty good clothesline. So uh, solid match or solid segment, not much of a match. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that the backstage interview, I think Bulldog interrupts China and mm. China might. I'm not sure this is the debut of uh, Vachina Envy or not, but. Oh, um, right. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, but yeah, that's that's how this comes apart um, mm-hmm. or comes together with uh, Bulldog interfering. Uh, doing everything they can to get Bulldog over as a heel in his home country, which is a tough task. Yeah, Next working up, hard. Yeah, uh, speaking of working hard, uh, these two guys have been <laughs> working hard against the current, uh, really, for most of the season so far. Uh, we have another matchup of the Kane of Kane versus the Big oh, Show. Uh, Kane is up in this one, and uh, I believe this match was also a no disqualification match. So at least it's a different match variety uh given the rules and what we've seen with these two but i went uh 1.75 yeah it, it is no dq and we get the finish of the chair i went two, so it's fine like it's the best of their series by far like a king of the ring uh sucked i went a half a star at fully loaded was not much better i went one star so we're i guess we're building picking up business a little bit with these guys i think kane is just really in a nice groove at this point so that's yeah. helping as well um and it felt like a little bit of a spectacle for the crowd who doesn't get to see these guys all the time too so i think that that vibe added to it they go just under nine minutes um but the no dq step definitely helps yeah without a doubt and you know kane kane's like consistently like you just look at this guy and you, and you see what he can do in the ring and you know, how he moves and just, you know, being able to kind of pull out a small miracle here at Big Show. But like, it's like, how is this guy not champion? How is he not, you know, mm-hmm. more in the main event picture? And, you know, they do a good job keeping him busy with X-Pac and giving him kind of a, you know, I guess we'll see a, a season long storyline. But, um, yeah, Kane definitely deserves a lot more uh, given mm-hmm. just his, his stature and his presence on these shows. Uh, coming up next, we've got the British Bulldog taking on X-Pac. And this was a surprisingly really good match. I went yeah. three. It was good. I, I liked it a lot. I went three as well. I mean, this may be like when you look at Bulldog's overall career in ARC and maybe even talk about for like GWE, like this might be one of his marquee nights in the promotion. Like they really feels like they built this show around him. He is all over it. He's involved in multiple matches. He's involved in a major angle that we'll talk about. Um, and he beats X-Pac clean. And X-Pac's been a driving force in 99. He's been red hot. And Bulldog is definitely being built on this show like a just like a top heel that they're building the promotion around, it feels like, through much of this. So it's a sneaky little fun match for sure. 
Yeah, and the I guess like the the reputation that Bulldog always carried with him was whichever company had Bulldog, like they won the UK, and right. you know he had so much value for the WWF early on in you know ninety one and ninety two, WCW got him in ninety three, and like they had a pretty big uh, UK show mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know now he's back uh, with WWF. Um, he said even a, another stop in between there, but um, this is like. Like you said, like this is this is the the bookmark show for uh, Bulldog. Like this is how you do it. He is the star of the show. He is uh, all throughout the show. He is um, a part of some really uh, memorable moments uh, we'll talk about. But uh, he single handedly alters the course of history as we know it. But uh, mm-hmm. this is a really fun sprint. This is a really good match. And you think ninety nine Bulldog. You think immediately to like the jeans and the wolf wolf theme, but. Um, it's not all bad. This is a really good match. Uh, agreed. Yeah. And uh, next up, we've got a triple threat match for the. Uh, oh, this is not for the tag team titles. Um, this is just a regular triangle match. I believe Edge and Christian are the number one contenders, though, and I think they have the number one contendership on the line in this matchup. Uh, but Edge and Christian are going to take on the Acolytes and the Holly Cousins. Edge and Christian are going to pick up the victory. And I went 2.75. How'd you feel about this match? Yeah, 2.75 as well. It, it was fine. It's kind of along the lines of the stuff we've been seeing with these teams. I mean, it's a big win for Edge and Christian. You come into this match, you kind of assume, I assumed anyway, that the Acolytes were going to win. Uh, so I think them picking up the win over two teams that have been presented pretty well is is a good one for them. Yeah, we're starting to see Edge and Christian um, on an upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. They've been in a nice point uh, so far with like the Hardy Boys, but now they're taking a step up like from SummerSlam, and then they got the tag title match with the Outlaws, and now you know they're picking up a big uh, triangle match win. So uh, good to see the continual, um, I guess, rise of Edge and Christian. Which that takes us to our big main event. It is a steel cage match for the WWF title as Triple H is going to retain by defeating Dwayne the Rock Johnson by escaping the cage. Uh, they get 22 minutes uh, to really deliver, and I went three and a quarter. Uh, yeah, this is um, a pretty good main event. I actually went uh, three and a half. I thought they gave him a lot of time to tell a story. It's another match where Triple H, again, gets to battle the Rock, and he's kind of owned him since fully loaded. And it continues here where he escapes the cage. There is a lot going on around him. Of course, China gets involved. You got British Bulldog coming out and getting involved. Vince McMahon eventually comes out and gets involved uh, and, you know, tries to get retribution for what happened earlier. And then Rock ends up being the crap on a Bulldog at the end. But again, it's a Bulldog night. He's all over the show, but this is a pretty good match. And it's like a forgotten Triple H Rock match in their, you know, longstanding feud and installment. So good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Surprisingly um, good stuff. Yeah, surprisingly good stuff. And, um, not like they do kind of have all the stars here. Um, you know, I don't, I don't yeah, Foley's not here. Uh, trying to think, of course, Austin's out. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. have Undertaker still out, but you know, pretty much everybody else is here for the show. Um, and this one is like the match to see, and they really go out there and deliver. Um, so finally, I think Triple H is starting to make some headway with this uh, title run. They've got him in there with the right guy. Rock has been his dance partner for a good part of the season. And anytime they're together, they usually do some pretty good business. Um, So uh, we'll see how Triple H goes throughout the rest of the season. But uh, JT match grade wise, what does that bring us to? Uh, 
That gives us a net out of negative 0.5, so more in line with what you'd expect from some of these 99 shows. Uh, so really not a great in-ring show, honestly. It's it's buoyed by those last couple, the Bulldog X-Pac, the tag, and the, and the main. Uh, but before that, it was really a struggle to uh, really crack anything beyond a two or much there. So that's that. Let's get to our plus-minus. So let's see what kind of, um, you know, this is a good test case, right? Because it's not really a show that received a lot of hype. But there's still a build because, like you said, it's just six days after Unforgiven, after Unforgiven, and we're seeing a lot of the same similar feuds and matches on display. So, all right, we have the continuation of China Jarrett with that through line throughout the show. We have British Bulldog seeking a title shot in his hometown and then just being on a complete rampage the entire night about it. Uh, Rock is a special guest referee on SmackDown for Bulldog Triple H, and that's a pretty classic moment when he's going to count and he does the. Uh, uh, refuses to count and kind of screws over Bulldog. And is that when he does a slide in the shoes, or was that earlier? No, nope, that, right? that, that is that is that episode. Yep. Yeah. So it's a pretty classic moment when he slides in the dress shoes, of course. Uh, yeah. And then I really like the gimmick to uh, do the coin flip for it to see which of the two titles is on the line in the opener. Yeah, it's a that's a nice little wrinkle uh, to add to the opener. And that episode of SmackDown is the only. I guess like preempted episode of SmackDown or shortened episode. Uh, it mm-hmm. is 90 minutes because uh, I remember that episode of SmackDown was a lead in for the, uh, I guess, sneak preview of the Shasta McNasty. <laughs> I was so mad that they cut SmackDown 30 minutes short uh, for Shasta McNasty. Cause I thought like, okay, they're going to show like five minutes of the show or something, but they, they cut a full night, uh, a full 30 minutes off the show. Um, I was not happy at all. Stupid Jake Busey. Shasta McNasty. I remember that being hyped so much. Foley gets a shot of that. Is any on there at one time? I think so. Do a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Shasta McNasty rewatch podcast? (laughs) It's even streaming anywhere. (laughs) Probably not. UPN (laughs) online or whatever. Paramount Plus. Uh, Okay. Um, all right, uh, you want to hit the ne- uh, negatives? Oh, gladly, yeah. Um, the main one here is uh, just inconsistent storytelling dynamics between Triple H and China. We've got China um, as pretty much a face by this point, but she's also hanging out with Triple H, who is the number one heel in the promotion. Has done some horrible things, to quote Gary uh-huh. Hart, um, just to establish himself as the top heel. So, like, why are they hanging out? China wants to buddy-buddy with Triple H, but then Triple H says things like, you know, he doesn't care. He's only focused on the WWE title. And it's like, why, why is China hanging out with this dude? She can clearly hold her own. So just inconsistent, um, you know, who's face, who's heel. Why is China hanging out with Triple H still? Uh, that's our only minus for the build. Well, and she's kind of doing the, you know, <clears throat> standing up for herself against the guys and trying to go on her own. She's a face against Jarrett, but she's a heel with, with Triple H. It's really like they didn't know what to do. And then she's still in the DX thing in the summer. We haven't really talked enough about it. Like, it's it's a very confusing dynamic, for sure, with the two of them. Like, they really just need to go their own way. And it happens pretty soon after this. But to this point, it's been like, all right, why is China a face in one segment? I, I think on Raw, there's literally times where she's, like, out there as a face and then out there a minute later as a heel with Triple H. Like, it's, it's just very confusing Yeah. during this all. All right, so that's a plus three for build. Uh, commentary, we have the refreshing change of uh, Hayes and Ross, kind of give us a little break from Perv King. We get a good job bridging the gap for the international viewers. They do a nice job kind of explaining some of the storylines since there's no, I don't think there's any TV in England at this point. Breaking news updates. 
throughout the night about Stephanie McMahon's status. We'll get to that in a minute. And the location of Shane McMahon. They do a nice job, you know, keeping us updated. A good job pointing out how much Big Show outweighed Kane to get over how impressive he is. Uh, you know, you hear about it a lot. You're going to see him in person and this and that. But I think here really did stand out because they're like, this dude outweighs this guy by this much. You can imagine how big he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the minuses, they started doing a good job, but then they really went too heavy on Bulldog's actions and what he did and just establishing him as a heel for the night. Um, it started to feel more like a syndicated show as they went along. And as a yep. kid who grew up on, uh, you know, philosophy, uh, velocity and WF jacked, uh, and all the syndicated shows, like this is what it like sounded like and reminded me of. Mm-hmm. And, as they go on, you can tell when Vince is in their ear correcting them, uh, specifically uh, Michael PSA's Doc Hendricks, because uh, he drops a couple pronouns and uh, Jr. even like <laughs> quickly corrects them. So uh, you know those those little things stand out, and it just kind of keeps them from being organic. Yeah, agreed. It's I mean jr and doc don't have like a ton of chemistry here i mean at this point overall they haven't been doing a ton of work together and it's been you know as much as we kind of said it's refreshing in a way because you don't have the, the horny king stuff you also get um the lack of chemistry that we've had the entire uh season so far with the two of them so yeah i mean they've done some work before but i mean that's almost you know eight or nine years earlier yeah all right, so that nets out to a one. Atmosphere, the crowd is into pretty much like all the acts throughout the night because this, you know, they don't see them a ton. Uh, we get the usual, you know, Britain shows with the air horns and the whistles and the chants, which always adds a really cool vibe. Uh, the hose dancing on Jr. and Hayes during the Godfather match was cool. Um, the Gangrel entrance always gets a point for sure, and then just all the huge pops in the main event at the end of the match. They're just going crazy that whole time. Yeah, and uh, as far as the minuses, <laughs> we got uh, a tough batch of hoes. Um, uh, and this yeah. is this is a category that like I'd say like they were closer to being like you know '90s hot. Right. Uh, and like what we mean by that is um, you know more more top heavy and and you know not packing a lot in the back. Um, you know having a big butt in the '90s was still considered being like taboo mm-hmm. and even being like fat. Um, so yeah, the, just you know. I guess for the Godfather, uh, you expect, you know, a higher quality of uh, product, shall you say. Um, and <laughs> yeah, no it heat. stood out. The, the, uh, the you know, British ladies were not not exactly the, the cream of the crop on this night, for sure. But you're right. It's it's a stark difference when you when you think about it, because, you know, I always thought 90s hot outpaced 80s hot, which is true. Um, but then it's like you look back at the 90s and yes, it's all like strung out Fiona Apple style, like flat, flat all around kind of thing. Right. And think about like what WCW has even during this time, like right. Tori Wilson, Stacey Keebler, uh, Kimberly Page, uh, I think Badeja's even on TV. Like they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are definitely winning the war uh, in that department over on the, uh, the other network. Uh, but uh, one more minus, uh, no heat for the women's match. Uh, so that gives us a total score of three for atmosphere. All right. Our big category for 99. It's been consistent throughout is notable moments and importance. Let's see if it continues. We have the really big segment, which drives a huge chunk of, um, the fall of TV. Stephanie McMahon is in the back with her dad and brother and British bulldog comes in ranting and raving 
about wanting a title shot. And he grabs a trash can and whips it. And Vince looks at him like he's fucking crazy. He's like, what are you doing? And then we realize that the trash can hit Stephanie in the head off camera. So we pan over and she is out cold. And they're freaking out. Bulldog just leaves. Oh, I don't mean to do anything. He's out. Uh, but he's not really super remorseful. So that's a two because this ends up being a major plot line. And part of it is because this is the final pay-per-view of the Vince Russo booked era. It's the next day when him and Ed Ferrara signed contracts with WCW to jump ship. And that was a big story at this point, a big time deal. You heard it all chronicled on the place to be nation place to be podcast Christmas play this year. Um, but he leaves and it's a seismic shift, at least like backstage. We'll see. It obviously doesn't end up mattering much, but at the time it felt like this could be a big deal, but you also could see like, we're going to see a bunch of stuff kind of switched on the fly. And, and this is one of them. And they do this to buy some time because Russo had a certain plan in place for the test Stephanie wedding. And with him going, I think they wanted to buy a little bit of time and reset things. So they have Stephanie get hit with the trash can. She ends up in a coma. Uh, well, not a coma, but she's out cold and she ends up with amnesia and they have to kind of rebuild. Like she doesn't remember test at first and they end up getting back to it, but they do this to buy time and postpone the wedding to rethink how they want to approach it with Russo gone. So this ends up being a pretty important moment and they give the updates throughout the night, but Stephanie get walloped with the, with the trash can from Bulldog really sets us up for a, a shift in how things are going to go for the rest of the year. Yeah. And forever. <laughs> and, and forever. Like you said, it's, uh, it's just pretty amazing that like this happens and you know, the next day Russo and Ferrara are out and you know, how does, how does that change the course of, of wrestling history? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just one of those things to think about. Huge angle, uh, huge backstage happenings. Um, but digging into the minuses on the show for notable moments and importance. Uh, we've got Gangrel being squashed. Uh, sad to see the Bulldog starting to mushmouth his promos a little bit and starting to stumble over himself. Uh, show losing clean. Uh, he's kind of in this in-between space of being like a main eventer, an upper mid-carder. Um, but... Uh, Triple H basically losing. Uh, I believe they do a bit of a, I don't say dusty finish, but, uh, you know, they, they have a finish. They get back in the cage. Um, so you get, like, the visual loss there. Uh, tough look. Um, but it is a special show, and China is stu- uh, still a huge part of Triple H's mm-hmm. ex- uh, success. By the way, there's a lot more pluses that we just we kind of trailed off oh, talking about the sorry. Stephanie thing. No, we can get to it. But yeah, I mean, yes, I think those negatives are all, um, you know, pretty on point. Like we talked about how oh, good Bulldog looked. But yeah, he's he's definitely struggling a lot on this night. I think it's just a lot to ask of him at this point. Like, I think he just put too much on his shoulders and he's trying to get these promos out. Like he's stumbling all over his words. You can tell he's gas. Like his, like I think he was a good addition to bring back, and he looks good. But like banking the whole show around him feels like a lot for him at this point, and it it shows as the show goes on. It almost feels like oh, not this guy again by the end. Um, but so anyway, back on the pluses, we get the that angle, uh, the awesome moment of Gangrel immediately asking to accept the hoe versus wrestling. Like he's like, yeah, I'll take it. And Godfather <laughs> for once doesn't offer it. Like that's usually the offer he gives, but, and Gangrel was like, yeah, yeah. Um, 
you mentioned before, but China drops with a China Envy here, which becomes a, a pretty big catchphrase of hers. Uh, a really big win for Edge and Christian. We noted that earlier as well. A great rock promo about Triple H and Willy Wonka trolling the fans. It felt like a special treat, kind of, you know, directed right at the UK fans. Sir, in the middle of the show, we get a really disgusting chair shot on Triple H by Rock. Uh, Triple H is gushing blood, and Rock's out there talking about monkey piss and stuff like that as this happening. And then China still being part of Triple H's success. We've mentioned it as a negative, but it's also a positive uh, that she's being showcased. So that nets out to a six overall for, for moments. All right. Um... All right. Match grades we talked about. That's a negative half. Uh, card structure. You know, a positive for the good Double J China running story. And then the Bulldog Madness through line, even though it was probably a lot to ask of them and felt a little bit gassed, but it still was also like, you know, a cool ongoing story throughout the show to look forward to. Yeah. And uh, for the minuses for card structure, a lot of uh, aimless matches, just matches mm-hmm. for the sake of matches without, you know, any real build or story to them. And the tough, dusty finish in the main event. Uh, so that's out to a zero. There's nothing rewatchable on either side and no all-time matches. And that leaves us with a total score of 12.5, which, again, is pretty good uh, when you look at our overall rankings. Like, that's a decent slot for a show that's probably not thought of as much, but it clocks in with, the, again, the moments. It's it's a pretty important show canon-wise because of the Bulldog stuff, um, which, you know, is that our Mo Lewis, Tom, Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe right there? Kind of <laughs> alters the whole course of, of wrestling history with how they end up going about things with Stephanie. Um, uh, atmosphere and build were, were strong as well. So uh, just lacking in the match categories, really, that keeps it kind of tamped down. Yeah. And commentary, I think this is probably our lowest commentary grade of uh, the season yes. so far. Yeah, it definitely hurt. Hayes, I mean, Hayes is fine in general, but... King and JR went such a role. It's it's like a noticeable difference. And yeah. like you said, I hadn't really thought of it, but when you said it, I thought back and it definitely does feel like a syndicated like show. It almost feels like dubbed over and yeah, everything felt weird. Yeah, but they're definitely there live. And uh, also live is a lot of the shows, actually none of them live, but a lot of uh, shows on North South Connection coming at you each and every day. Uh, evergreen content, some timely content, wrestling, pop culture, sports, dedicated hosts and talent that churn this out on a very regular basis. It's into year three now. You know, if you don't mind, give us a share, a rating, a review, be much appreciated. I feel like we're really uh, delivering high end content that dives deep into topics like we're doing here today. A lot of chronological watches that go deep on stuff too, that errors you may not think of or, or hear a lot of coverage on. So we try and really take different approaches and different looks at projects and wrestling history here on the North South Connection Podcast Network. Uh, Marcus, anything you want to talk about? Uh, three years to be a network. That's a long time. Um, but uh, I have oh, my own podcast over on the soon to be named network uh, with at not the tool man, Tim Taylor. Uh, it's called Final Wrestling Place, where we take the announced professional wrestling and we give them arbitrary red points and green points, and we put them into either a good place or a bad place. And of course, uh, the Viewers Choice podcast here on the North South Connection after every, uh, I guess, premium live event or AEW pay per view. You can catch myself and not the Tool Man, uh, sometimes Ryan Gray. Uh, we hop on uh, right after the pay per view is over as best as possible and kind of give you a quick uh, hit or miss what to skip, what to watch uh, if you've not watched pay-per-view yet, or just to hear our breakdown. Mm-hmm. And you guys do a great job. It's always a good listen to uh, catch up on what went down on the big shows. Thank you very much. 
All right, let's get to our back end of the show tonight, and that is covering No Mercy 99, the U.S. version. Of course, they did No Mercy UK earlier in the year. Uh, probably one of the few times a season will have two pay-per-views by the same name, I guess. Uh, we'll see, but here we are. So we got the No Mercy 99 United States version. This occurs on October 17th, 1999 from the Gund Arena, Cleveland, Ohio. And as we just talked about, it is our first pay-per-view of the post-Vince Russo era. So we're still reeling a bit. Uh, I don't know how quickly Chris Kresge came into power, if it's like right away. He's one of the more beloved writers in company history because of the the following year and, and how cohesive and, you know, everything that he puts together from a story point of view comes together. Um, so I don't know if he was already in charge or not, but you could tell definitely there's like a lot of kind of shuffling and shifting and, and rebooting and retconning going on in the wake of Russo and Ferrara leaving. Yeah, he's a character who's gotten, um, I get a lot of praise retroactively uh, for like storyboarding and for, of course, conflicting reports that, you know, he was just kind of another guy in the room. who didn't do too much, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, either way, I think, I, I think we get uh, some improvement uh, as we move forward this season with the storylines. And of course, I think the in-ring work is going to pick up. And uh, I think it is safe to say that we have a pretty landmark match uh, that is going to help the uh, work rate and match expectations pick up just a little bit. Uh, as we continue on this season, but let's get into uh, the show proper. No Mercy, 1999, the U.S. version from Cleveland, Ohio, like you said, the Gund Arena. Uh, uh-huh. Starting off the show, we've got Godfather uh, in his opening spot, defeating Midian. Um, again, I'm a sucker for uh. the Godfather. <laughs> I went one and three quarters. Yeah, I went one on this. Uh, the only thing worse than Godfather Ring at this point is Midian. Um, this match did not capture the imagination that much. It's a tough opener. I, I'm all for opening the show Godfather, but opening the show Midian's not the best choice. Um, I think we could have done better than this. I just I don't get the Midian thing. Like, fine is like Undertaker's lackey, but with that dead, it's it's like what's he gonna do? I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Um, to me, he feels more like a house show. TV jobber to the stars type of guy versus like getting quality pay-per-view spots type of guy at this point. Yeah. Or even like throwing him into like a, you know, if there is a multi-person tag team match, like mm-hmm. I think him and Viss are like fine for that role. They're like, you know, two big scary looking dudes um, that, you know, it, you don't really expect them to win, but if they do win, it's not that shocking, but yeah, some miscasting here going on. Um, so yeah, not the best starts to show, but Godfather at least is an exciting and overact. Uh, we're going to keep things going for the WF women's title as the fabulous Moolah is going to defeat Ivory, uh, putting an end to her reign. I went one with this match, JT. Here are debacle. Uh, so I went zero. <laughs> I think this is uh, a terrible train wreck. Uh, Moolah winning the women's title was a joke. Like, I feel like we were just building some semblance of positivity in this department. Like we kind of had a consistent trio or quadruple of women's contenders with Ivory and Tori and Luna and Jackie in the mix. They're all tough. They're having good hardcore matches. They're beating the shit out of each other. Like they're not really doing the brown panties type of stuff. And now it's like we're devolving again into comedy by having Moolah's old ass out there. And I get that. Like, and look, I'm not going to be super hypocritical. Like, I laughed at the time when Moolah and May came back and they were getting involved and bumping around and had the funny music and, like, all that. Like, all right, fine. 
But for Moolah to win the world title, like, I thought this was stupid at the time, and I still think it's stupid. And the match is terrible. And the fact that we can't deduct a point as an all-time worst match because of your nonsense is bothering me. (laughs) I stand by my performance. Um, I was entertained uh, enough to keep this away from being all-time bad. Um, I was truly shocked at some of the bumps that Mae Young was taking (laughs) off off the apron. And probably without Mae Young, there is a chance I do go, um, you know, down into the, you know, three quarters territory. But uh, given everything that happened, the finish is so bad too. It's, it's not believable in any way that Mula had ivory pinned to the mat on that spot. Like, I don't know why they had to do it the way they did. Like Mula is, I mean, I'm not going to fat shame, but you know, she's, she's in shaky. She's in her seventies. Just yeah. lay on Ivory. Ivory's all right. That's believable to me. If she lays across Ivory's shoulders, that Ivory may get trapped under there. But like that awkward, stupid roll up, like it was completely unbelievable in any way that Mula was having Ivory leverage the mat, and that completely ruined it for me. Uh, look, I I can't argue that argue there. Um, basically, May Young getting knocked off the apron two times is good for one <laughs> one star for me. Um. But yeah, it, either way, it is rough. Um, it, it is not good by any stretch. Um, but yeah, we have a new women's champion with the fabulous Mullah. Uh, moving on, we do have the Holly Cousins taking on the New Age Outlaws. And the Hollies are actually going to pick up the win and uh, mm. defeat the New Age Outlaws. And I thought this was okay, but still below replacement level. I went with two. Yeah, it's a surprising finish, but it was some tomfoolery with the chair, and Billy Gunn ends up using it and um, gets DQ'd, you know, because the Hollies bring it in, but the guns, uh, the Outlaws use it. I went two as well. It's it's fine. I mean, I think the Outlaws are a little washed as a team by this point. They're trying to recapture mm. the magic. I don't know what else to do with them. Like, I'm not advocating splitting them back up, but like the tag division in ring is clearly starting to escalate, like quality wise, with Edge of Christian. The Hardys, even the Acolytes with their power offense. The Dudleys are going to, you know, amp it up a little bit as they're coming in. The Outlaws suddenly, again, feel like a little bit out of their depth. When they were kings of the tag division, there wasn't much in the way of competition as far as in-ring. Right? It was like a lot of just kind of either washed-up teams or brawlers. And now we're actually getting to a point where you have, like, teams that can work at a different level. And they're going to look aged out really soon in there. Uh, so as is, they hang on <clears throat> and we get the DQ and they win the match, but this is, or they lose the match by DQ. So I just went two stars. It's, it wasn't very inspiring at all. Yeah, no, we saw this at Rebellion uh, with Gangrel and mm-hmm. I guess a little bit with Val Venus is like just how quickly time is moving and aging out these characters. Right. And, um, you know, it, it was a good call, I think, to put the outlaws back together because you at least knew like they're going to be an overact. But um, the return is not the same. Um you know, I thought initially, you know, maybe, OK, you just put them back together. Everything will be OK. Um, and, you know, not that they're not good. It's just right. um, they're just getting you know, lapped. They get yeah, it. they're getting I lapped. Mean, yep. The good thing is they end up doing something with with them. And like right after this, that helps by getting them into the stable. Um, but, yeah, them just being on their own is is not working right now. No, no, it's not. It's not cutting it. And um and it feels sense. goofy after all the Billy Gunn stuff. Like, it's like, oh, we're right back to this. Like, it's, yeah, this feels absurd. 
Yeah, and and the rest of the division is is catching up, which is kind of a cool thing to see during this attitude era. Is like mm-hmm. guys are hungry, guys are advancing up the card, and uh, we're gonna see some serious, uh, you know, I think uh, some serious resetting of the bar uh, later on tonight. But before we get there, we have in the good housekeeping match, China is going to win the Intercontinental title by defeating Jeff Jarrett. And this is an infamous uh, night, <laughs> an infinite, infamous match. Mm-hmm. Good old Double J, one of my personal favorites. I thought this was amazing. Um, I went four. Yeah, I went three, seven, five. It's It holds up. It's a great brawl. I'm not a fan of the dusty finish. Like, we kind of just did something similar at Unforgiven. Like, I just don't think we needed it. Um, it felt forced. And it kind of takes a little shine away from China winning because she basically kind of lost earlier it, it's a real super technicality that the belt's not a household item like it just it just felt kind of goofy like i don't think we needed it especially given that jared's on his way out the friggin' door so it's like why why are we even giving a visual pin um in here but it, it's it's a good payoff to this angle of him with the woman beating and and all that stuff that he really was in hyperdrive miss kitty leaves him at the end and of course all the backstage stuff that you hinted at with him uh you know, his contract coming up, decides to bolt over to WCW to be with Vince Russo instead of staying here where he felt like he was capped, whether it was due to issues with Jim Ross or with Austin or, you know, whatever it is that he felt completely undervalued and that maybe he was hitting the ceiling and that Russo may keep pushing him if he went with him to WCW. But he does put over China after holding up Vince McMahon for a bunch of money. Um <laughs> to come out and job and uh, i guess in the end he gets the last laugh because he ends up with a vanity promotion and then he's still in the hall of fame and still on dota ftv <laughs> even after all this so good for him um, what a legend but, yeah i mean it's a great match but i don't know what did you think of the this dusty finish did you think it hurt it and it all yeah i'm on the other side of the aisle with that i actually love the dusty finish because um and it really brings us back to a point like we mentioned with Shamrock at SummerSlam, a little bit with Undertaker at SummerSlam, we're seeing like a natural write-off to these characters. And I thought that right. was a natural write-off to the Double J character at this time with uh, the woman beating and you know the abuse and him being a dick to Deborah and starting like him mistreating Miss Kitty and um, you know the good housekeeping stuff and you know women belong back in the house and beating up old women. Everything that's gone into this Jarrett character, a major point was the dusty finish from Un- Unforgiven. And so I really liked that, like, the tables got turned on him. And in the end, the dusty finish was, you know, his his demise. Um, I guess I just wish it was like a stronger reason, like the the belt not being a household item was goofy to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would have liked maybe maybe trying to get her foot on the rope or like, like maybe something like that would have been more believable, you know, not believable. It just it just felt like forced. Yeah, it, it's a really intricate technicality to trust uh, the common WWF fan to understand because they always say, paint your story, tell your story with broad strokes and bright colors. Um, you know, very little gray. Don't you know? Don't play to the minutia. Like everything's big. And I thought the Intercontinental Title not being a household item was uh, really dipping into that you know nuanced territory. Where it's tough for the common fan to really to comprehend and, and follow along. But uh, in the end, we get the big moment with China holding the Intercontinental title, making history, becoming the first female to win the Intercontinental title. And we get the big, you know, right off of Jeff Jarrett um, wrapping up this character and, you know, wrapping up his time as a active competitor uh, in the World Wrestling Federation. So 
unfortunately, so long to Double J. I've really enjoyed him this season. Um, can't wait to go back into 97, 98, and 98, 99 to, to see some more of his work. But that's going to put a bow on good old Double J. Sure is. It's been a, a good run. He's been a key part of the season, you know, even through the tragedy with Owen and then restabilizing his IC champion. And uh, yeah, he's off to WCW. And it's it felt like, again, like a little bit of a, I don't say seismic shift, but it was it was a decent sized shift with, you know, Russo and Ferrara and Jarrett now all leaving. And Jarrett at the time, like you're nailing it on the head. Like he's hot. It felt like a big act. And just it was like again like just as this guy's getting over finally he's out the door and they spend so much time and resources and energy to get this guy here and that they just let him walk it's like he comes back he does the you know real and real nwa champion thing that goes nowhere they put him back on the horse with the hat that kind of goes nowhere they stick him with owen and it's fine but not like you know earth shattering stuff and then he finally kind of figures it out and just when he's peaking, he's gone. And so it's, it just felt really weird timing for him and crappy for the company to not, you know, reward the time and effort put in to actually finally get this guy over. Yeah. Like if I close my eyes and I think about like, what does double J do, you know, on the raw after this or the SmackDown after this, like in my head, I close my eyes and I see him, you know, giving the El Cabong shot to like the rock. Like I see him taking a drastic step up into uh-huh. the main event because like we've kind of been searching for rocks other dance partner if you know right. he's not going to be facing triple h uh you know he's he's been in there with billy gone uh tonight we'll see uh in the next match you know who his dance partner is so like to me it's time for jared to finally take that step up and start dancing with the main eventers and this is what you've been grooming him for he's been intercontinental champion five or six times uh he's red red hot and you know you just wrapped up everything with china and you know the woman angle and you know now's the time for Jared to take a step up and he's going to be out the door to wcw but um unless you have anything else to talk about old double j we can move on to our next match uh yeah i think we're, we're wrapped up on the uh era of Jarrett. ah uh, so long double j i'm gonna miss him uh he is my terry funk uh but in the next contest the british bulldog is going to take on Dwayne the rock johnson and of course the rock is going to pick up the victory here and i went two and a quarter two and a half this feels like the end of bulldog is a main event threat i don't think he's cooked completely yet i think we get a little bit more out of him but this felt like the hard end to mm-hmm. what started when he came back for building unforgiven so he kind of gets a month of like main event level stuff he dominates rebellion and they kind of you know payoff here where rock screwed him out of the title and during this build is when we get the the pretty famous moment of rock giving him the rock bottom on the on the pile of dog shit um <laughs> leading up to this uh so that, that's a pretty famous smackdown moment but this is um it was fine it was fine this, you could see that bulldog's really starting to break down again it's like he pulled it together for that, those first few weeks and it started to unravel on him quickly but again perfectly fine but rock does feel a bit stuck in the mud um overall yes he made events of rebellion but that wasn't for a large audience you know he's in the six pack and unforgiven he takes the loss he's dealing with billy gunn at SummerSlam. now he's with the bulldog it's kind of like all right where do we when are we getting the rock back on track and you figure it's coming because it seems pretty obvious that he's going to be the guy at mania 
because he hasn't really had that run yet as a face heading into Mania for the, going for the title. So it's just like a matter of when are they going to start it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, how do we keep the rock busy? Uh, you know, just trying to get to, to WrestleMania or even get to the yeah. rumble. Um, and this is like a hard definitive end to the Bulldogs, you know, run as a top guy. It's clear that him becoming world wrestling federation champion is just not in the cards anymore. And even watching this at the time, I was like, why'd they put this match on in the middle of the show? But with what we've got coming up next, there is absolutely no way that, you know, you can have the, the athletic contest we're going to have that's you know really going to usher in a new generation of wrestling um, and then follow that up with, you know, the British Bulldog, at, you know, in 1999, uh, because now, which is kind of like amazing, but like we saw him start to go with X-Pac, like he had a really good contest. But now I think it's like kind of start seeing the wheels fall off a little bit um, in this match with the Rock. It's just it's just not the same. Um but uh, that's going to bring us to our next contest. It's a big one. It is the finals of the Terry Invitational Tournament. Winner gets uh, is it ten thousand? Is it hundred thousand dollars? I think it was a hundred thousand dollars. Spent a lot of money there. Hundred thousand dollars and the services of, or excuse me, managerial services <laughs> of Terry Runnels. Um, it is going to be the new brood of Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy. Of course, the Hardy Boys with Gangrel defeating Edge and Christian. Um, this is of course an all time matchup. Uh, I think it's safe to say that I went a full five. I went just under it a four and a half. Maybe some of that's unfair knowing like other stuff is coming and this isn't quite there, but I, I do think it's a little short of it, but it's still a Renaissance. It's still groundbreaking. It's still amazing stuff. Um, it's such a weird premise to deliver such a classic match, like this random tit tournament like in here um for terry runnels you still got gangrel coming out with the hardies like the, all of this is so weird and out of nowhere these these four guys just go out there and crush it and they get the you know famous standing ovation the next night on raw and uh it just yeah it just felt like okay like to see the outlaws earlier in the night and then this is like this isn't the same division anymore at all that these guys can go out there and do this and it's an absolute star maker match for sure so i don't know maybe the four and a half is unfair but i just feel like there's more to it i think a little bit of it is like the crowd wasn't fully buying in at first either like because of who the teams were so it takes some work to get them there so but it's not quite year yeah i know what perfect can be with these guys so again it's a little hindsighty but it's still an all-time classic. Yeah, it, it it's all-time classic. Um, I was like going into this thinking it's okay. I'm gonna be like four and a quarter, four and a half. But um, rewatching it, I thought it held up incredibly well for me. Now there is another match that we'll see in this season uh, involving mm-hmm. these guys that is highly praised, and to me that one does not age as well. So I think I'm gonna be a little bit lower on that. But I'll go in fresh eyes, um, like I did with this one. Um, just masterful stuff um and i don't know what gangrel thought if he thought they were all gonna like terry right uh give her the bloodbath like what what was gonna go down uh what did you think was gonna happen was he gonna get a cut of the hundred thousand i don't know but um yeah he's 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 not long for this world um but i guess something has to follow this matchup um and it is val venus taking on mankind val venus uh moving up the card here a bit He's going to pick up the win against Mankind, and um, I absolutely hated this matchup. I never want to see 
speak of or think about this matchup again, I went with a half. Half point. I was shocked when I saw your grade. Um, because I don't remember it being this bad. I went one and a half, so it was definitely not very good at all. Mankind seems like he's completely on fumes at this point. Um, and we'll talk about his potential retirement coming up soon. But he, uh, yeah, he definitely does not look great. Val's struggling a little bit. They do elevate him up. And again, kudos, like you mentioned it earlier, um, that they're trying to bring these guys up the card. And, you know, the other guys that have been with Rock, with like Bulldog and... Um, Talking about Jarrett and talking about Billy Gunn, and eventually we'll get there with like Al Snow. Like they're trying different guys. Like they absolutely are. You know, something we ripped them for today, modern day, is like they don't take enough shots on trying to build other stars. And they were trying here to like get these guys over, for sure. Um, this was all around Foley's book, where he was trying to give it to The Rock, but it was really Val taking a shit, and he takes it and throws it in the trash. <laughs> and, um, so Val's kind of in, you know, him and Al Snow end up being like kind of intermediaries into potential issues within the within the rocket sock but um it, weird finish too where mankind's got the mandible claw but val basically just grabs his, his nuts and squeezes and then they both collapse and val lands on top of mankind for the win so kind of a weird finish a weird match uh they definitely struggle to find any kind of rhythm yeah i should have went full dud like this is this is just terrible absolutely terrible um the, the this is even like worse for yeah I, i'm surprised to go full zero terrible hated it um awful i do appreciate the effort of trying to move out venus up the card because you do want to see the the guys that have been in the mid card you do want to see them start to like make their way up into the upper mid card semi main event pitcher mm-hmm. but um it's just not clicking here it's not clicking at all and it's clear i think val venus needs uh a shift from the you know porn star character uh, there's mm-hmm. been less reference to that and more of, you know, him just kind of being a dick now uh, right. with Mankind. But there is nothing here. Um, just a really bad match. Uh, but that brings us to a uh, four-way elimination match. Uh, kind of a battle of the Giants as Kane, Farouk, Bradshaw, and X-Pac are all going to do battle. And X-Pac is going to be the last man standing. Um, I went two and three quarters on this, JT. I always found this to be such a weird little match. Um, like the acolytes in a singles role, kind of, even though they kind of worked together. X-Pac and Kane, like they'd kind of been feuding, I guess, as team. But it's definitely a weird match, like to put into a four-corner elimination. Uh, ends up being okay. X-Pac and Farouk, the last two was weird as well. Uh, X-Pac does end up eliminating Kane. They're still obviously buddies here, so it's kind of a big strike. And him winning is like a big step forward like we've talked about his push and his growth all through 99 and this felt like a big deal like he's in a semi-main goes over three other guys and picks up a surprising win he's the smallest guy out there so in two and three quarters as well it was solid um and it makes you wonder like what's planned for xbox at this point because it felt like a big win yeah and i wonder if um if it would have just been better to do like a tag team elimination match mm-hmm. and have kane actually be the first one to be eliminated and then have uh kid go up strong on both Farouk and Bradshaw. I think right. that would have stuck out a little bit more as opposed to kind of doing, you know, Kane gets rid of somebody, you know, on and on and on. Um, you know, if you're gonna put him over, gonna put him over the Giants, like put him over strong. Um right. clearly he is somebody that they have a lot of stake in. Um it's not like they're really taking a flyer on him. Um he's been a consistent top level player this whole season. Uh, and that's not gonna change. But 
Yeah, weird dynamics. It felt something more you'd see on like maybe SmackDown or Raw uh, than see them trot out on a pay-per-view. But that leads us to our main event. Uh, it is for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, and Triple H is going to retain by defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin. And this match is anything goes. And I went three and a quarter. I went three and a half. I, I liked it. It's probably like the match that could have just been a SummerSlam. Uh, like we talked about, I didn't really understand why they went the way they went at SummerSlam when you could have just done this. <laughs> Triple mm-hmm. H just goes over. Uh, you know, Rock again comes out and kind of gets worked by Triple H. Like, he just looks like a loser <laughs> like compared to Triple H lately. Triple H is really owning him. Um, and they fought all the way to the back until China, again, helps Triple H to get a limo and drive away. Um, it was a good match. I thought it was good brawling. I like the, the weapons. They're both bleeding. Like, there's a lot going on throughout all this. It was a good kind of classic Attitude Era main event style brawl that's kind of reaching its end point soon. Um, but we get one more here. Triple H goes over Austin, which is key to his push. I just don't understand why we didn't get this at SummerSlam. Yeah, and it's it's, it's kind of tricky because looking at the calendar, like, okay, it's been two months in SummerSlam. It's like, what all has really changed? Like, have they really done that much to change Triple H from, uh, or I guess to elevate Triple H from SummerSlam to now? Eh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's that much of a difference. Like, you know, if, if Triple H was at a seven at SummerSlam, I don't know. Is he a 7.5 here? Is he an 8? Mm. Like, was that the difference? Was, you know, is is that is that the difference in Austin coming out and doing a job? Is it, was it the medical uncertainty surrounding Austin? Like, I think there's rumors that he may not have made it to SummerSlam, and they were worried about that. And then, of course, he's in a non-wrestling role at Unforgiven. Uh, they mentioned on a commentary that, you know, he hasn't had a match since SummerSlam uh, right. up until this point. So, was it finally just Austin, like, accepting uh i guess his condition and maybe getting some more clarity on just how bad his neck was it was that the changer here and he knew he needed to do business um you know we all know but um it is a decent match you know i went three and a quarter you went three and a half so you know pretty strong main event um it was definitely what was built up to uh the most on the show and um i guess it is nice to see like they are making a dude like they're making Triple H um, by hook or by crook, whether he wants to or not. Um, you know, Triple H, some might say, is being forced down our throats, but it's kind of amazing if you just keep trying stuff with a dude and something doesn't yeah. work, you switch it up, um, and you just let him keep winning. You know, he eventually he'll catch on, probably. Right. We'll see that continue to play out because we're not there yet, but. Um, yeah, so Austin, you know, lays down, puts over Triple H, whose rise continues, you know, works over Rock again as well. So, all right, so that nets out to a total match grade score of zero. (laughs) So, even (laughs) with the awesome tit and the China Jarrett and the main event, this is enough crap to balance it out. When you look at Val Mankind, you look at Moolah Ivory, Godfather Midian. Holly's Outlaws is bland. Uh, you know, this it just offsets. Wow. Even Rock Bulldog doesn't carry its weight. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a waste of an all-time match right there for sure, match grade-wise. All right, let's get to our categories. Uh, for build, we have a point for the Triple H snakebite angle. If you remember, he uh, 
Awesome. Oh, yeah. Locked him. Kind of went old, old school Ultimate Warrior Jake Roberts there. Locks him in the room with a snake. And then the next week, Triple H comes out with all bandages on and stuff. And then he reveals it to work. Um, Vince punishing Triple H on heat for his antics. Gives him the, the no DQ. The Hollies costing the New Age Outlaws the tag team titles to set up their match as well. And then the China Double J hyperdrive into their feud. Uh, with Double J still beating on the women and China standing up for them. And then, of course, the tit with the uh, tournament leading up to this. They have, didn't they do like a draw in the fifth match and that set up the ladder match? Yeah. It was like yep. a DQ or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for our build for the minus section, we've got the doggy doo doo rock bottom. As you mentioned, we've got the rock being a dick to McFoley. And we got Val Venus with the testicular claw because that's really going to get him over. All right, so then that's out to a total of two. Commentary: uh, King just relentless on Mayamulo, which is always funny. Uh, the great—they're great during the ladder match. They put both teams over. They're selling the moment, and this incredible—you know—feat of athleticism we're seeing. We get the uh, star treatment and tone to the Rock, of course, uh, emphasizing the latest developments for matches on the newly debuted SmackDown as well. So really putting over the importance of SmackDown as a show as it just debuted over the last few weeks. Yeah, um, and uh, with the minuses, we got uh, commentary notably peaked with the ladder match. I mean, they really emptied the tank uh, trying mm-hmm. to keep up and call that match. Um, and, you know, how how often do you really get, like, you know, that kind of match that kind of changes the way that, you know, wrestling's going to be in the future? Um, it's tough, tough to really hold back during that kind of match. But uh, and then we got forced puns during the good housekeeping match. Uh-huh. I think there's a kitchen sink comment and, uh, you know, just some other, I guess, you know, borderline dad jokes, uh, made by commentary. Okay. So now that's out to a two as well for atmosphere. Uh, we have our infamous windbreaker crew, uh, a couple front row. Yeah, You've seen them at a lot of shows. Of course, the, the husband has like the green, or, oh no, the husband has the pink, right? The wife has the green. Blue so, yeah. Yeah, so you see them. I think they're WrestleMania 23, most notably, but there are a lot of shows over the year, like in the Midwest. Um, so here they are. You see them here, front row. Uh, this this set and the event name is immortalized due to the No Mercy video game on N64, which is considered pretty much the peak of wrestling video games, right? WrestleMania 2000 and No Mercy are kind of like pointed at like as the greatest mm-hmm. of the great of WWE video games. Um, and those, of course, run off the same engine, that WCW's greatest games came off of the year before with uh, World Revenge and World Tour and those. So just a really good two-year stretch of video games. Uh, and No Mercy uh, captures this whole look and feel on that game. You get the star presence of China. Just feels great when she comes out. Just looks like a star. The standing ovation for Edge and Christian after uh, losing to the Hardys. The insane pop for Steve Austin at the main event. And I really like the wood flooring near the entrance when Triple H and Austin are brawling. It looked very unique and different. Yeah, it almost felt like we were in like a older arena, like the Boston Garden or something. Mm. Like I don't know, it just it just had a different look to it. Um, and going back to the the video game, I mean, No Mercy, what a huge game that was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, immortalized is definitely the right word to to sum that up. Um, were you a uh, No Mercy guy? I was WrestleMania 2000 more than New Mercy. So my okay. roommate sophomore year had an N64. Um, and so we played a ton of the WCW games and then WrestleMania came out and we played a ton of that. I didn't have an N64 
personally. So like, I think No Mercy came out. It might have been when we weren't at school. And then I ended up getting a PlayStation and like the PlayStation games I was using. I don't know. Like, I think he had No Mercy and we played it. I just think we got super into, um, just super into WrestleMania 2000. And it was basically the same game. Like, it wasn't that different. No Mercy yeah. maybe had a few things over it, but they're pretty much identical. And we had created a ton of cause in WrestleMania. Like, we played it nonstop. Um, so, yes and no. Like, it wasn't No Mercy, but it was pretty much the same thing. We also had the ECW game um, that year that we played a ton. That was, like, the Attitude Engine. So, when WWF took over Aki or whatever, the WCW ad, ECW then took over, like, the Attitude era engine right so the ecw game was basically attitude with ecw guys um so we played that a bunch too yeah uh no mercy came out november 17th 2000 um, so i would have been back in school that would have been junior year i think smackdown when did smackdown first come out because i feel like i was playing that my junior year on playstation um, yeah I th- let me look that up real quick because that might have like we might have had WrestleMania 2000, went on summer break, March, came back. March 2nd, 2000. Okay, so maybe there was a stretch of No Mercy in there before SmackDown. But I just I remember WrestleMania 2000 more for, for whatever reason. Maybe he didn't yeah. get No Mercy right away because we had WrestleMania and it was like the same thing. Yeah, I think the big difference with No Mercy was you could go backstage and also had the ladder match. Right, right. Um, yeah, but those games, that whole gameplay was unbelievable. Like the even the WCW versions were great. Um, and we used to just do constant rumbles with like all those guys. Oh like, yeah, World Tour. We play like endlessly. Achy man, <laughs> Stone Cold Killer. Um, yeah, I remember. I uh, glad you mentioned it. Like the WF taking over the the licensing or game engine from mm-hmm. WCW. Like that was a. I think like a low key bigger part of the Monday Night War than people remember. Like, oh, WWF bought out the, they got the rights to make, you know, uh, mm-hmm. video games with the WCW people. Like, even they're switching over. Like, right. That, that was kind of a, a low key big uh, turning point to us. Um, but let's keep going with the atmosphere. Uh, even though it is an immortalized event, the set itself is kind of nondescript. Mm-hmm. Uh, a weak opening video and uh, theme to the show. We've kind of been spoiled a bit with pretty good opening video packages. Uh, just thinking back to like Fully Loaded um, and even SummerSlam. Um, but then we also have the crowd being pretty subdued during the first few matches. They're really just kind of can't waiting. blame them. Really. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're like they're waiting, like they're just waiting mm-hmm. for something cool to cheer, and you know they get it eventually, but they gotta wait halfway through the show. All right, so that's out to a three for atmosphere. <clears throat> for notable moments, our big category, uh, the attempt to elevate mid-card talent like we've been covering, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, Val, Hollies, China, like they're all getting showcase spots and pushes. Uh, a point for China winning the Intercontinental title, a point for Jeff Jarrett's final day, uh, two points for the new era of tag wrestling and invent- reinvention of ladder matches, a tag gimmick, uh, obviously kind of uh, a big-time moment in company history. We get a point for Rock basically setting up Survivor Series with this promo, um, knowing that he's going to be headed toward, you know, potentially being involved in the world title picture. Miss Kitty leaves Jeff Jarrett and goes with China. A point for Xbox, big win. And a point for Triple H beating Steve Austin, which is a big deal. And, of course, a point at this being the first pay-per-view kind of under the SmackDown on UPN era. Um, now with, you know, that being a major part of programming going forward. Yeah, like I think SmackDown might have been part uh 
of the company when like Unforgiven was, but it wasn't like heavily into like the storylines and heavily play a part. Like they made it a point, I feel like on the show to like have a development for every match happen on SmackDown. And the announcers yep. clearly mentioned like, oh, SmackDown on UPN on Thursday. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, for the minuses uh, for notable moments importance, we have Mula winning the women's title. We have the execution of the Val Venus push. Uh, just the results are not there. And uh, Jeff Jarrett being forced out, uh, being forced to leave at the uh, peak, the height of his powers after years and years of trying to get over, uh, as you went into detail about. So um, that gives a total grade of seven for that. So the usual strong performance from moments here in 99. So even on some of these down shows, like you're still getting tons of big stuff happening. A uh, match grades we talked about netted out to a flat zero. Card structure, uh, Godfather, always a good choice to open the show. So mm-hmm. well, well done there. A great video package uh, leading into the main event using the H Blocks version of the Austin Oh Hell Yeah from the Music <laughs> Volume Four, which is a great CD. Yeah, great CD, great song off that CD too. I'm glad they found a mm-hmm. way to use it. Um, uh, looking at the minuses though, we've got Midian, which is never a good choice to open a show, <laughs> even against <laughs> the Godfather. Uh, yeah. Weird. Weird placement of stars and top acts during the show. Um, mm-hmm. Things are kind of scattered. And uh, I conceded to you that the dusty finish ultimately was not needed in their Intercontinental title match, even though it was a good way to write off Jeff Jarrett, um, was not needed. So uh, I'll concede that to you. All right. Well, that gives us a negative one overall for card structure. Uh, I. <laughs> Look, you didn't give me the negative one on all-time matches because of the Moola stuff. You gave it the one. But I worked it in here as a rewatchability negative one. Uh, that fiasco, I'd never want to watch again. It's it's a debacle. That pin is awful. So negative one for rewatchability. And then a plus one for all-time matches as Edge and Christian of the Hardys uh, clocked in at a 4-2-5. Uh, plus for both of us, so that gets a, a net of a one. And that gives us a total score of a 13 for No Mercy. So just slightly over Rebellion. Did that surprise you? It is surprising, um, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to like, look like how even with all-time match, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a really good match with Jarrett in China, a pretty good main event, like to only have half a point be the difference um, says a lot about, I think, where the roster is at at this point. And I well, think about- it's the usage of a bunch of the guys, the card, most of the card having uninspiring matches. The crowd not as engaged as other shows, so atmosphere wise. Like, you know, there's a lot of moments, but not as many moments as other shows. So yeah, it's 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 surprising. I don't think you would have came into this thinking it would be slightly above. Honestly, I would have thought No Mercy would have been above Unforgiven coming in. Um, oh yeah. For sure. So yeah, I mean it's it's not even. I just that think close. there's enough negatives, and I think it's it's dinging the positives on this one. Yeah, and um, lucky that um. Uh, not snow, but Val Venus and mankind didn't work its way into <laughs> the minus for rewatchability. That was terrible. Yeah, we, I mean, we got some really bad matches that really got a decent chunk of time uh, on this night. But. All right. Uh, so why don't we run down our total rankings here? We are now up to 26 total shows. And in last place is Over the Limit 2011 with a negative nine. Night of Champions 2011 with a negative three. WrestleMania 11 with a negative 0.75. The Elimination Chamber 2012 with a 2.75. No Mercy 99, the UK edition with a 4. Royal Rumble 1995 with a 5.5. 5. 
TLC 2011 with a 6.25. Royal Rumble 2012 with a 6.5. King of the Ring 94 tied with that with a 6.5, but we give that the slight bump as a personal choice. Yep. Uh, Survivor Series 1994 with a 7.75. Extreme Rules 2011 with an 8.75. The SummerSlam 1994 with a 9. Avengers 2011 with a 9.5. Hell in a Cell 2011 with an 11.5. Rebellion 1999 with a 12.5. No Mercy 1999 with a 13. Capital Punishment 2011 with a 13.75. WrestleMania 28 at 14.5. That's still a surprising one to me. Uh, King of the Ring 1999 with 16. Backlash 1999 at 16.25. Unforgiven 99 at 16.5. Survivor Series 2011 at 18.75. SummerSlam 2011 with a 23. Fully Loaded 1999, 26.25. Money in the Bank 2011 with 28.75. And our number one show to this point, The SummerSlam 1999 with a whopping 38.25. (laughs) Insane. It, it's surprising to me though, like Unforgiven and Backlash and King of the Ring '99 are like all above WrestleMania '28. Like that's it's nuts to me. But there was a lot of down on '28 that offsets like a lot of the good. That's the problem there. Yeah, and a, a lot of those like I don't know mid card, upper mid card guys were thrown into that <laughs> Team Teddy versus Team mm-hmm. Johnny stuff. So it's really lacking like that extra match or two to really pull up the card. Right. All right. Well, in two weeks' time, we'll be back, Marcus, and we'll wrap up the calendar year 99 with Survivor Series in Armageddon. And unbelievably enough, only a few shows away from wrapping another season. So we're cruising along uh, here through 99-2000. Be sure to check out everything we have to offer on North-South Connection. And also remember to live your life above replacement level at all times. That's Marcus. I'm JT. We're out. Talk to you in two weeks on WWE. The wheat is going to a nuclear era, but I have no fear. London is drowning and Like a lot.